So Aaron cheats a bit. He's the lead pastor here, and he's gone today, so I can get, kind of do whatever I want to. <laughs> Last week, he said that we were a weird people, but he was going to use the word peculiar. I think we're just weird, so, you know, relax. It's okay to be weird a bit. But he said a peculiar people in the title of this series is a bunch of couple couplets. And so one of the things we're going to talk about today is how we sh should be, can be, need to be, need to think about being a community of wonder over and against a culture of certainty. So getting ready for this, I read an old book uh, of mine that I'd read a long time ago, and I've recommended it to tons of pastors, which called, the title of it is called The Myth of Certainty. We live in a culture that wants answers. And if I understand it correctly, that's exactly what happened in the garden. The garden choice for Eve and Adam, actually, was between staying in relationship with God, which is a wonder, or being knowledgeable about good and evil. Knowing gives you a sense of control, gives you a sense of certainty. We like certainty. We're not as comfortable with uncertainty. We like answers. We like solutions. There's a guy that writes this way, and I taught in university for quite a while, and I really resonated with the first time I read this. He said about 99% of what we teach in school, all through school, all the way through a doctoral program, is find the right answer. There is a right answer. You can get the right answer, and you work to learn the right answer for your tests. Well, kind of makes sense. The problem is it leaves out a whole chunk of reality which doesn't have answers. So I have on my wall, uh, going into my office, this quote that says something like this, uh, the things that count the most in life are the things that can't be counted. We want to count things. We want solutions. Read an interesting thing about uh, mystery stories and why people like to re read mysteries is because they have a solution at the end. And this one guy was making this comment. He said he stumbled onto this. It's called the uh, Detection Club, I think. And it was uh, Agatha Christie and Dorothy Sayers and uh, G.K. Chesterton, British writers, and they made a pledge with each other that they would uh, write their mysteries in a certain way, and they would always have a solution at the end. The problem is, if you look out at our world, give me a solution to the Middle East. Give me a solution to what's happening in Ireland. Give me a solution in the Ukraine. Give me a solution to our political stuff here in America. It doesn't matter what you're looking at. It's a mess. We want answers, and we will gravitate to answers and give up the uncomfortableness of these elements, poles, different ele elements pulling at each other. And so what we do is we shut down a lot of times, and we can't have a conversation. We can't have a dialogue. So I work with a group called Global Training Network, and during the COVID, I wrote about six articles that's why when uh, Aaron asked me if I wanted to 
pick from a group of couplets, this is the one I picked because I wrote it six articles based on the loss of awe, awe, A-W-E, the loss of awe in our world today. We don't wonder much. Now the word wonder is fascinating. So I had a choice to make it upbeat <laughs> or typical me, downbeat, if you will, kind of, <laughs> because we don't like that. We like the upbeat side. You know, we want, we want to have a happy ending. We don't want to, I call it, for movies, European endings, they usually are sad in movies. And, you know, we have these happy endings. Everything comes together and everything's fine, right? And we feel better as a result of that. The problem is life doesn't come in that package. It just doesn't come in that package. And so we agonize over that in some ways. So I, I wanted to start this morning. If we had enough time, I, this is what I would do. Uh, the, a, the idea of wonder is when you ask this when you just say it in a sentence, I wonder about, I wonder what happened to that couple. I wonder, I wonder why they, whatever. And you, you are asking a question, basically. My mother said, one of the difficulties with raising me was that I was insatiably curious. And I still am. I am. I wonder at the people I get to talk to. I wonder about their stories. Uh, I've learned, I've lived long enough that I, that I, positive there's not a boring story in this room. None of you have one. You may think yours is, but if you could tell it, I know it would be riveting because it's what God made you to be, alive and wonderful and full of wonder and amazing in so many ways. And Those are upbeat terms, but we miss them sometimes. So what I thought we could do is think a little bit about what happens in Scripture. When you go to Scripture, if I go to Scripture, I come away with these kind of ideas uh, I want answers a lot of times, but what I get is these puzzles and paradoxes and riddles, it seems like. So I wanted to start this morning with a riddle. But I'm not going to do it because I knew from a public speaker's standpoint, if I gave you a riddle, you'd spend the whole time thinking about the riddle and you wouldn't pay any attention to me the rest of the time and that's no good. So we're not, you know, you have to give me, you have to come get riddles later maybe, Right? Well, here's some paradoxes in Scripture. Let's talk about Abraham and Isaac, for instance. Does God countenance human sacrifice? Well, no, but that's what the story sounds like. Sounds like he's telling Abraham, go sacrifice your son. And we, uh, you can't resolve that. <laughs> You have to wonder about it. You just, you go, this is a crazy story. It's a great story the way it ends. And, and it, we gain the benefit of it according to scripture we do, but it's one of those conundrums. Or if you're more into theology, you might take a, a puzzle or a, a paradox that says uh, predestination on the one hand and uh, free will on the other. Which is it? Are you determined or do you have freedom? How much freedom? How much determination? How do we work that out? Well, that moves you from having an answer, folks, to what? Being a community of wonder. Does that make sense? It's hard to grasp that, I think. But it's repeated over and over in Scripture. Here's a passage out of Philippians that I often quote and I think about it deeply because it catches me each time. 
I like to think deeply about things. I like to read broadly, but I find myself pulled back to these sentiments that say this, and it says in Philippians something like that, be anxious for nothing. Now, we live in a very anxious culture right now. Lots of anxiety, probably anxiety is close to the number one uh, most diagnosed disorder in our culture. Anxiety, what follows is depression, those two linked together, and it's what's most prevalent in our culture. Because the answers we're giving are not able to fill in the blanks, which is what we're talking about this morning, the wonderfulness of God's creation, the wonderfulness of his ability to be in this world, even in the midst of or engage in, uh, inhabit would be the best word, I guess, inhabit the context we're in, which includes evil and brokenness and just what we sang about, darkness and that. So I'm going to just take one piece of wonder and kind of sit on it this morning. So if you leave here, I want you to realize that you need some solutions. You need some things that you can kind of count on. You need to have some confidence that people will stop at a stop sign or stay on their side of the road. And it doesn't always happen, obviously. And so, you know, we, we do get in trouble, but we do need some certainty. I'm not knocking that. The problem is we just don't have enough wonder. Philippians says this, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, make your request known to God. So you're going to tell God the things that you need, where you are, the things that you're struggling with. Not everybody's struggling this morning. Some, some are, some aren't. Uh, some are on the good side, some are on it. But I guarantee you, if you live very long, you're going to have all of it. It's all going to come to you sooner or later. And then he says, and the peace of God, which, what? Is beyond your ability to comprehend. That's wonder, folks. You step out of answers for your, your supplications and your prayers, and you walk into this peace of God, which is what? Beyond your ability to comprehend. It will guard your heart, interesting, and your mind. Two places in Scripture it talks about guarding your heart and your mind. One's in Proverbs, one's here in Philippians. Those two ideas uh, drive this, uh, this message this, this morning, essentially, that we have to walk by faith, not by sight. We are called on to be the people he made us to be. And we left that in the garden and we chose certainty over wonder. Just a sidebar, quickly. I don't think you can be in relationship and not be stunned by how much mystery there is between two people. Whether married or not, that's, that's not the issue. Uh, just between two, any two people. Because they're so were so complex and so dense and so detailed and dense doesn't mean stupid by the way there so some people are I know that but you know we're not here to talk about it. okay Job uh, if you know if you've been around me very long I like wisdom literature and Job's wisdom literature in the Old Testament and I don't think we spend enough time with it and talking about city groups we have a city group that's dealing with Job so it's not exactly the happiest group it, you know because Job wasn't the happiest guy, but uh, what happened to Job pushed him into the dark. 
It all happened in one day, according to the text. And it's pretty spectacular. And in the midst of that, there's a guy named Elihu. One, he's the fourth comforter for Job. And he starts in about chapter 32 speaking. And I'm going to quote from him out of chapter 37. So this is Elihu trying to undo the puzzle or the conundrum or the riddle that is Job's life. Why is this happening to Job? And, and who caused it? And uh, who's to blame? And how can we figure this out? That's certainty. That's, that's our drive to have an answer, right? You read Job and you're going to stay in the space that I want you to stay in this morning. Job 37, verse 5. God thunders with his voice wondrously doing great things which we cannot comprehend. This is Elihu saying God thunders and his voice wondrously loud doing great things which we cannot comprehend. And then Job 37, 14 says this. I will make darkness into light. Listen, listen to this, Job says. Stand and consider the wonders of God. Okay? And, and I, I think, okay. Uh, he's saying, pay attention to the wonders of God. Now let's talk about one aspect of that this morning. And it comes out of Isaiah, and it sounds this way. I will uh, bring the blind by the way that they do not know. I'll I'll bring the blind, I'll lead the blind by a way they don't know. In paths they do not know, I will guide them. I will be, do what? I will take the blind, people who can't see. So that was the other thing I was going to do this morning. I thought, it might be good to illustrate this by just turning the lights off in here. And seeing how you felt if we were all in the dark, completely in the dark, closed doors, no exit lights, nothing. Just what would it be like? I don't know if you've ever been in Carlsbad Caverns or someplace like that that's so dark you can't see. And you, there's, what are you longing for? You're longing for some light, aren't you? Don't we all? So most of us have a belief in God that sounds something like this. We go through life praying a little, planning a little, jockeying for position, hoping but never quite certain of anything, and always secretly afraid that we'll miss the way. I would say that's kind of a waste of time, but we, we gravitate toward that because it seems like it's going to make, the, make it easier. And then, but there's a better way, and it's to repudiate our own wisdom and take instead the infinite wisdom of God, which says our insistence upon seeing ahead is natural enough, but it is a real hindrance to our spiritual progress. God has charged himself with full responsibility for our eternal happiness and stands ready to take over management of our lives the moment we turn in faith to him. Seems like we we keep coming back to this concept of faith. We are faith-based creatures designed to walk by faith, not by sight. By sight would be certainty. By faith means I have to hold open my hand and trust something that I can't control. And that's exactly what a relationship is. Every relationship, whether it's with God or yourself or your neighbor, should bring awe to you. Relationship with your discipline, whatever you face in this world, should bring awe to you. I have a friend that was a botanist, and he said it was hard for him 
to walk across his backyard because he knew so much about what was going on on the lawn. Now that sounds a little goofy, but what he's doing is he sees the wonder and he appreciates the, the actual dimensions of what botany brings, right? I don't see that when I go across my backyard, but I believe it's there. What he says is, Isaiah 42, 16, I will lead the blind by a way they don't know, and I'll lead them in paths they have not yet known. Isaiah 45 says this, I will go before you and make the rough places smooth. I will shatter the doors of bronze, cut through the iron bars. I will give you the treasures, listen to this, of what? Darkness and hidden wealth of secret places so that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by name. I got to thinking about this. I got to thinking, why do we leave this out of our teaching? God constantly encourages us to trust him in the dark. He says, I'll go before you. I will give thee what? Treasures of darkness. <laughs> okay, so maybe you could think about it this way. God's mighty deeds were done in secret. Many of them away from the eyes of us. When God created the heavens and the earth, darkness was upon the face of the earth of the deep. When the eternal son became flesh, he was carried for a time in the darkness of a, the virgin's womb. Also a mystery. When he died for the life of the world, it was in the darkness, seen by no one at the last. That's what the big event was around the passion. And we're headed toward that right now, this year. It was in darkness uh, when he arose from the dead, it was very, very early in the morning and no one saw him rise. And it was as if God was saying, what I am is all that I need matter to you, for there is, there's lies your hope and your peace. I will do what I will do, and it'll come to light at the last, but I do it, how I do it is my secret, trust me, don't be afraid. That's a, that's a quote from A.W. Tozer, and he's telling you, He's telling you these things happen in the dark. And we kind of skim over that and then we turn the lights on and we want the big spectacular stage and we want, you know, and lighting is a big part of this. It's huge. I have a daughter-in-law that that's what she does for a living. She's a stage lighter and she would be able to do stage lighting on Broadway. That's the kind of stuff that she does. And, and so it's, but it's a huge part of how we make sense out of life in a way. But we want to be, we want to have answers. We want answers so much that it's really hard for us. So I've, to try to concentrate this for you this morning, I'm going to give you, we're going to put this up here. And there, I have five quotes, and I'm just going to read them to you and walk through them with you just a little bit. So you can get maybe just a handle on this. Now, if you're a note taker, don't try to scrabble, please. I'm sure they'll wind up in the, on the, whatever you guys do, note part, part of this thing eventually. 
Okay, so the first one goes like this. Although not knowing may itself seem like a bad thing, if I don't know, think about what our culture wants us to do, wants us to know more. We've chosen knowledge over relationship, and so we keep after that. Oh, so yeah, if not knowing may itself seem like a bad thing, I'm convinced that it's one of the great gifts of God being met in the dark. You don't know what's next. Have you ever played peekaboo with a little kid? That's part of this. It's built into us. And not knowing is waiting, right? And waiting is a hard thing. And waiting is part of the mystery of life. And most of us aren't very good at waiting. And we want our answers really quickly. And I know I have a smartphone. And if it doesn't go fast enough, I am not happy. I hate to confess to you that, but anyway. All right, then the second one is, sometimes the only way we enter the thicker dimensions of life's journey is by being unable to see where we're going. Anticipating, uh, hoping, aspiring to, wondering, right? Third one, in worldly matters, it's good to have light so we can know where to go without stumbling. But in spiritual matters, it's precisely when you do think we know that we are most likely to stumble. Confidence is a good thing, but confidence in what? Confidence in what you see or confidence in what you believe? They're not necessarily the same things. And I think too often it's what Paul warned us about. He says, walk by faith, not by sight. And I taught here one time, and we talked about Exodus 14, where they, they had their backs up against the water, and Pharaoh was coming, and they, they got through the water, and they were griping on one side, and they praised God on the other. And I told you, they praised God on the wrong side of the water. Why? Because they were basing it on what they saw, and their ability to trust God lasted maybe two or three days or to, to a couple of weeks, max. Their belief was rooted in what they saw in the immediacy of certainty over and against immersing themselves and entering into the mystery of God and the mystery of life and the mystery of relationship. Two more to go. It is in the darkness where God is able to meet us face to face that we discover our attachments to our habitual senses of God that they disappear and we are challenged to relinquish them. We make an idol of our images and feelings of God, giving them more importance than the true God they represent. I'm old enough to have walked through life with a whole bunch of pastors, and that just happens to be my job. And so as I listen to their stories over and over and over again, they trust in their position and they trust in their uh, role and they trust in their performance and they trust in a lot of things and when that gets challenged for some reason and it might be through illness or a death of a or a or a kid acting out or it doesn't matter I'm being asked to speak to a whole bunch of pastors here in a few weeks or in next week actually about wayward children as adults they actually said that I, they wanted me to talk about uh, parenting adult children. I don't think you parent adult children. I don't. Th- 
I think parenting's done. You've got something else to do. You know, you've got another task to do. You've got to renegotiate the relationship, and you have to enter into this mystery of I don't control this, and it's not mine to cause this, and I can't, you know, and I'll tell you about my children. I've got three children, and I say they're, they're three married children following Jesus in their own way, and it's not my fault. I, I didn't cause it, you know. I, didn't, I can't take credit for it. I can't take the blame. You know, they're, they're alone. So that's part of this mystery part. The last one is this. Liberation comes from realizing God uses the darkness for profound good. And we must learn to live comfortably with mystery, hiddenness, and secrets if we are to access this freedom on a present basis. Mystery, hiddenness, and secrets. That's not 2024. That's not the context in which I live. I live in a context where people want answers and they want them quickly. Okay, so I've, the teacher in me has this. I want a diagram up here that has two circles. And one circle represents certainty. It's the solid circle, if it's up there soon. And the solid circle represents, okay, I've got this. And so it just helps you just a little bit, helps me think about it. Certainty means that I, I've solved this problem. Certainty means that I've got this nailed. I don't know how many times, I, well, I've probably done 250 weddings. And I don't know how many times people start a, their marriage with this great confidence that they're going to beat the system. <laughs> And it only takes a few days, usually, before that confidence is leaking out somewhere. You know, I mean, it's just it's so difficult. But that's, you know, marriage is designed to be a people-growing machine. And we don't want to grow a lot of times because we, we run into the limits and we don't want to change. We don't want to be, we're, we're what? We want to be in control and we're not able to control the other person. And then we find out stuff about ourselves that we don't want to control either. And so, on and on and so. So here, uh, so certainty is represented by that circle. And this other circle has dashes in it because it's, uh, it's not really a circle. It's bigger. It's like drawing a circle for God. You can't, right? So how do you visually represent that? Well, we're finite, so I still do it. It's kind of a still. This is, this is a circle that is porous because there's a lot of stuff you don't know. You, you kind of get it nailed down, and then it doesn't actually fit. God doesn't fit in that. There's something more. You run into something more. And, and I would say to you, if your theology is the same as it was 10 years ago, you, you're not growing. You, got, you have to grapple with this stuff. It it's, it's, doesn't finalize itself. I just listened to a guy the other day, and he, he was talking about his journey through life, and, and it's a theological journey, and it just ran through about four different denominations theologically because he was growing and he was asking questions and he was willing into willing to enter into more wonder not less so i'm going to just put some words up here and talk about them just a little bit but give you a feel for uh, maybe a way to think about things that would help you identify the difference between whether you're walking in a in a in a wonder way or in a mysterious way or not. So, uh, I think we start over here with tension, uh, Hebrew word for faith or belief or trust means to create more tension. Who comes to church to have more tension created? 
eh, we don't like that. We want to we go away feeling good. And I want you to go away feeling uh, in love with God, I, willing to trust him. Feeling, it's going to change. Tension is part of what makes life work. Tension is what it means to live by faith. Tension is what it takes to walk on a high rope. It can't be slack. You'll be hanging from it. Uh, you can't walk on it unless it has tension. So we are forever wanting to remove tension in our lives, thinking that's the best thing. I don't know how many people have said to me over and over again, I don't like change. Well, we know change is a constant. We can't avoid it, but we push back against it. We try to minimize it in our lives. And Nancy and I have been in the process of moving, basically, for the last three years. And if you know anything about our story, we're still in the middle of transition. And I've worked with people in transition for years, and now I'm having to swallow it all myself. And I'm going, this is really not fun, you know, <laughs> because nothing settled. Nothing settled. I still have a library that has uh, it's 50 boxes of books still in boxes. And they've been in boxes for three or four years, and I miss my books, you know? Can you commiserate with me just a little bit? You know? so feel a little compassion? Okay, anyway. Tension, pressure, anxiety, stress, the things that we want to get rid of, uh, those things make life. Be careful about what you want sometimes. We, we fiddle with this, but it, we, we, gotta be, we have to be careful. How about learning to live with a question rather than fighting for an answer? Living with questions is really uncomfortable a lot of times. Why does this occur is, are the questions that we're likely to ask, but the questions that need to be asked more frequently are, what do I do with this? How do I, how do I walk through this with grace? One of the marvelous parts of Job's story is I, can't, I still can't figure it out, is how in the world did Job stay anchored and, and in relationship with the holy? The first thing he did when all this happened in one day, one day he lost everything. I can't imagine losing one child, let alone 10. And, and he lost them all in one day and he stayed anchored. And what did he do? First thing he did was he worshiped. The new song they sang that they had four or five lines in it about darkness and trouble, troubles and the valley and so on. Well, that's part of life, isn't it? So how do you find God in the dark? How do you, how do you go after that in some way? How about I might be wrong? Or how about doubt? Doubt, we could spend the whole time talking, just talking about doubt. How do you, how do you deal with doubt? Do you, are you afraid of it? Uh, does it come up and you never talk about it? Or you come up and you maybe grapple with it once? Or maybe what you've, you have, you're gonna have to find out is you're not doubting God, you're really doubting yourself. And that's a problem with your own development, if you will. How do you walk by faith? How do, how, what role does humility play in this? Because it, it seems like humility is the anchor point for us in so many ways. Here comes this word, curiosity. Do you remain curious? Do you remain curious enough to, to ask your mate, you know, I, help me understand where that comes from. I, I don't know, you know. But here's the problem with asking questions. Questions could come in a couple forms. One can feel like an attack, and one can feel like an inquiry. This is an inquiry. I want to know. I'm interested. I'm curious about you. I'd like to know more about you. How can I know that if you don't know that? How are we going to get there unless we can ask curious questions? And ambiguity is really hard for us, by and large. That's, we don't like that. We like 
certainty, don't we? <laughs> we like it to be clear. Well, it's good to be clear if you're going to drive your car, you know. You need to stay on the right side of the road, and that's as long as you're here. That changes in some countries, but still, right? How about paradox? I would like to teach through the paradoxes of Jesus. I've taught through the parables. I've found about maybe 40 paradoxes that Jesus pulls up, and I bet there's 100 at least. And I'd love to teach through them sometimes because a paradox are these two things that are true, but they don't fit together. And Jesus, they do, but how do you get them there? Well, you've got to be over in the stage of wonder rather than certainty. And if you're driving for an answer, you'll pull it out of wonder and you'll stick it over in certainty. And certainty is a smaller circle, you notice, and won't expand very much. And most people stop development at some time in their life and they stop wondering. And then the next one is riddles and parables and learning how to wait. All those things comprise this part of it. And that I had to stop because there's more, okay? Uh, it's messy. It's tumultuous. It's chaotic. It's uncomfortable. It's disturbing. It's all those things. That's, that's the nature of an adventure. And if you've ever even gone on an adventure in the mountains, it's full of that stuff because you can't predict it. And you can't control it. Certainty, on the other hand, has these things to it. It's binary by definition almost. And so then I put up all these little uh, letters, all or none. I should have you fill them in. All or none, either, or, right, wrong, black, white, win, lose. You can give me some more. That's the way most of us live our lives. We think in those terms. By the way, that's a very childish way to think in terms of development. Uh, nothing fits in those categories. Hardly. A few things, maybe, not very many. How about... Uh, being religious, being confident in your rhythm. You know, we've talked about rhythms here. I just want to make a, a warning. Uh, everything can be perverted. Everything can be redeemed. So you can have a practice that's easily distorted if you're not careful. If you push it over to certainty, then it becomes religious. I would say the opposite of being able to traffic in mystery and wonder is to join a cult cult will give you the answer because that's the way they're built and people are drawn to them because they're so desperate for some something solid that they maybe missed when they were kids even or the thought of being right and wrong or living by sight all the time or stopping asking questions you know most of the religions in the world will not allow you to ask questions about them Christianity invites them. Come, he says. See, taste, <laughs> test. Uh, let's be in relationship, he says. Okay, there's a couple things I want to end with. One is still in Isaiah, and it's a verse that I've found comfort in for a long, long, long time related to this subject. It's Isaiah 50, verses 10 and 11. And if you read Isaiah 50, there's commentators don't know where these two verses came from necessarily. And I don't really care. I just am glad they're there. Listen to them. 
who, who is among you that fears the Lord? The word fear here simply means is in this awestruck wonder about this. Sometimes I'll say in a marriage, uh, if you are bored in your marriage, you're not paying attention. You, should, there, you will never exhaust knowledge of this other person in your whole life. You just can't do it. Stand back and begin to be amazed at who they are. Too often we stop that. So listen to this. Who is among you that fears the Lord, who obeys the voice of his servant, who walks in darkness and has what? No light. That's pretty dark, isn't it? Let him trust in the name of his Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you, now this is the counter to that, is verse 11. Behold, all you who kindle a fire. Who's kindling the fire? You are. You're the one that's going to try to make this work. So all who kindle the fire are in the certainty category. So this verse 11 is there. Watch it. All who walks, uh, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with flaming arrows. So in other words, it's at night, you're in the middle of the forest or in the middle of the desert or something and you you want to be safe so you don't just have a fire in front of you now you've got fires all around you to keep the animals away and and give you warning and it's it's a way to protect yourself because life does that sometimes he says walk in the light of your fire go ahead trust it trust the trust the light you can make and among the flaming arrows you have set ablaze and then he says this you will have from my hand and you will lie down in torment. In other words, your best effort to protect yourself, to kindle this fire, will not be enough because that will give you a sense of certainty and a sense of safety. When I was a little kid, a sheet always made me feel safe. <laughs> I could pull it up and I just felt safe. Was I safe? <laughs> no, but I felt safe, right? because it was my control. And all the writer of Isaiah is saying here is he's saying, you trust yourself, you'll get exactly what you trust. You trust me, guess what? Uh, you have the whole of life then to celebrate in some way. All right, I have one last quote for you. Augustine says this, if you understand, it's not God you understand. God refuses to be put in that small circle of certainty. He stays over here in mystery and wonder. And we need to be a people of wonder. Pray with me, please. Father, as we go from here, I pray that uh, our practice will be that we savor life this week, that we savor our relationships, that we savor the, the beautiful things in life, and we savor the bitter things. We pay attention. We, we don't miss them. We understand that they're part of the rhythm of life that uh, comes as a result of living at this time in the world and this time in your creation and this time in your economy, and that you are there and even when it's dark we can trust in the name of our God I pray that we'll learn how to do that 
in ever-increasing ways that we'll be less afraid of being curious and less afraid of being open and more willing to be your children. More willing to uh, live by faith. More willing to ask questions. More willing to open our hands. Thanks, Father, for your Son who makes this possible, who gives us all the grace we need. We don't have to beg you ever for more grace and allows us to access joy in the middle of grief and sadness. For that we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.